Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shay. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else, like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit, where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to, though. But take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry iced tea. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always, for the intro music. Pretty sure Yola Tango's on tour this summer. Check them out. I certainly will. Uh, two of my favorite people are our guests today, Rodney Scott, one of the great, great chefs in the world, and Lola's Eli, who has helped us out on a bunch of different things. Uh, you've seen him on Ugly Delicious. He co-authored the Rodney Scott's World of Barbecue. Every day is a good day. A cookbook. And um, it's a great book, not just a cookbook. It tells you a lot about Rodney's life, his family, his philosophy. And uh, I couldn't be happier for all the success that he has seen uh, the past few years. You can catch him on Netflix's Chef's Table, the barbecue episode series. We talk a little bit about it, but uh, our good friend Chris Shepard, who hosts the Southern Smoke charity event is the first time I actually got Rodney Scott's barbecue. And he had this urban myth about his whole hog barbecue. And, and uh, we talk a little bit about it, but man, when I first had his food, it was amazing. It really is one of those things where you're like, wow, this guy, this guy just knows so much about heat, about flavor. And, um, it was just a, a real bucket list moment for me to actually be right there seeing him work all the coals and just make one of the most delicious things I've ever eaten. And, um, you know, Sean Brock told me about him, man, over 10 years ago. And he, a few years ago, opened up and moved his barbecue shop to Charleston. And um, one of the best meals I've had. And if you go to Charleston, not just an amazing food city, but got, some of the best barbecue in the world, and you should go check that out. Um, and Lolas, if you haven't listened to the podcast we did with Lolas a couple years back, please check that out. Lolas, one of the most fascinating, one of the smartest, one of the best writers out there. He has lived and done all kinds of things. So um, I hope him and Rodney get to work on a few more things, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, I wanted to say that I think the future is barbecue, and I know that the world is eating less and less meat. That is going to be the case for sure moving forward. But I mean, when you go out to eat, it's going to be a celebration, much like going to a steakhouse has been. Something we talked about on the steak episode in Ugly Delicious, how meat is a celebratory event. I think it will be that again. And combined with you know restaurants opening up again, I think when it all shakes out, there's going to be a select tier of restaurants, kinds of restaurants that do very well. One of those are going to be great barbecue spots. They've done well. They're like recession-proof. They're pandemic-proof. But I really think that if you're going to go eat meat and delicious smoked meats, it's going to be reserved for moments when you get great barbecue. And it's it's one of the things that I sort of liken to great sushias in Japan. I clearly want to go eat at the best sushias in America, New York, and LA. But I try my best to sort of refrain 
I do, but not nearly as much as I want because I want the joy to, you know, when when I'm able to travel again to internationally to Japan and, and to eat at places that I can only eat there and sushi being one of them. And barbecue, it's just one of those things, man, where it's the terroir. And, and I'm just so excited for Rodney and the fact that he is like a bona fide celebrity and uh, go buy his book, go buy his sauces. And I think he's got a partnership with Le Creuset. Go check that out. One of my favorite people on the planet. I love both of these guys, Lolas and Rodney, very much. Here's our conversation with Rodney, Scott, and Lolas Eli. We're with our good friend, Lolas, and we have Rodney Scott on the podcast today. You guys co-authored a cookbook recently. For those that don't know, Rodney Scott is one of the great chefs in America. And um, I dare say, you got uh, like this legend. There's this urban legend around Rodney Scott. And I remember her saying your name like a decade or so ago. People are like, there's this fucking guy. You just got to eat his stuff. <laughs> like, that's the kind of stuff. Like, it's just like one sentence. You got to eat his fucking food. That's the kind of endorsement you want. You got to eat his fucking food. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> and when I finally got to taste your barbecue, we, we did an event with Aaron Franklin at, at uh, oh my gosh. Southern Smoke. Yeah, Southern Smoke, yes. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, everyone's pretty chill. You see everybody got, getting in their groove. <laughs> You were like a vampire. No one saw you because <laughs> I was like, where's Rodney? I was like, he was here at night and he'll be back in the morning. And yeah. I, I just was so excited to finally get to taste your whole hog. And I won't tell anybody about the secrets that I learned. You can read it in the in your cookbook, which yeah. is beautiful. Thank and you. the pictures are amazing. I'm a big picture man. And, and I think your pictures capture a lot of the beauty and magic of your food. Um, it was awesome. It was so good to just see you in action doing it. And I was able to visit you in Charleston and Morgan Neville. Uh, and I made a big detour. We literally stopped production on Ugly Delicious so we could eat at your restaurant. And I said, this has to happen. I never asked for anything. I never asked for any diva special treatment, but we have to find at least two hours because we're going to eat in 45 minutes. We're going to need at least an hour to feel better about ourselves because we're going to eat so much. And you gave us so much damn food. It was amazing. So thank you. <laughs> I remember that day. You're welcome. And I'm going to say, as famous as you are for your pig, your goddamn chicken wings are insane. <laughs> insane. <laughs> insane. I'm going to just say it. Maybe the best chicken wing I've ever had. Really, Thank for you. real. Lolas uh-huh. is nodding his head. It's true. <laughs> Dave, man. So I, I meet Angie Mosier. I think you know Angie. Photographer, a pastry chef. So I meet her at Rodney Scott's. And so mm-hmm. I order sort of a standard everything. And Angie says, yeah, and be certain to get the wings. I'm like, yeah, okay, the wings. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know, I'd had the other stuff before them wings was on fire, man. And you know, for for uh, real, they're they're. Yeah. I don't want to know what you do because I'm going to try to recreate it. it. Won't taste as good. Well, I mean, if you want to know, I could tell you, but you know, secrets in the rub. <laughs> secrets in the rub. Secrets in the rub. Can I ask you, Rodney? What do you do for people that buy the book, which they should? And it's not just about whole hog. It's about your whole culinary philosophy. About, it's about making delicious things. But I get this a lot from people that say like, hey, Dave, I followed your recipe and it's just not as good. And I'm like, part of me is like, this is great because that means you have to go to the restaurant. Yes. But secondly, <laughs> it's also like, what do you tell them for the letdown? Like, you can't make it because you're not me. Basically, that's what you want to say. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to tell them, you know, hey, look. Maybe you skip something and, you know, I might, I might throw something at him like, were you holding your left foot up? You know, <laughs> and that helps. Uh, or, you know, pretty much you just say, I gave you everything that I could give you. Um, if you, you feel like it didn't live up to your expectations, come by the restaurant. Let's try it again. And then we'll we'll see. I pretty much give them an invitation to the restaurant to see if they did something different or it didn't come out right. You know. I try to help them as much as possible, but a lot of people, 
They basically just don't do the same technique or procedure. I seen somebody following up one of the recipes just the other day and the way that they were doing it, it was like, wait a minute, that's, that's not the way you do it. It's the same thing, but the procedure was a little kind of different. And they said it was great, but I don't know, man. Just invite them back to the restaurant. Tell them, keep eating with us. I, I wanted to tell you the truth. I got to be honest. When we came back to f- finish the shoot with Danny McBride, I, I had to cook the steak dinner that's on the show. Uh-huh. And I totally lied. I, I cribbed. I said the <laughs> banana pudding that was being eaten was mine. I made it. <laughs> what? <laughs> it didn't make footage. I knew it wasn't going to make the footage, but I was just like, it was, I was like, I need dessert. I was like, oh shit, you packed us with a ton of banana pudding. And that, that recipe's in the book. Recipe's in the book. The rest, banana pudding recipe's definitely in the book. I'm just going to say, even maybe better than the chicken wing is the banana pudding recipe. <laughs> well, because my mama did that banana pudding, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were either of you, you know, sort of speaking to what Dave is talking about here, I mean, you spend the first you know, 30, 40 pages of this book, which is incredible, by the way, talking about your story, your life, how you came up with barbecue, how you learned to do what you do. And basically it's like, you you you, you cooked your first hog at 11. <laughs> You've been doing yeah. it your whole life. Were either of you hesitant about trying to make this book, like to teach people how to do this, even in a book form? I know you can't convey it in a conversation, but like, how do you approach something like this where really, like Dave said, the answer is, you didn't, yours didn't turn out like mine because you're not like me because you haven't been doing this for, for years and years and years. Was there like, was that a challenge for you guys to try to like, I'm going to tell you all how to do this, but you're not really going to do it. <laughs> for me, it was somewhat of a challenge to, to kind of tell what was going on. Um, but again, you know, you can tell somebody how to build a car. That doesn't mean they're going to go out there and build it. So I was just saying, hey, let me just share the recipes best we can. It was kind of hard to simplify it for a home, you know, cook to do for me. But uh, sharing the recipe itself, eh, wasn't that hard. I felt like, you know, I can tell you how to do it, but are you going to do it? It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, though, I hate writing recipes because <laughs> part of what you have to do in writing a recipe is impose a real order and sequence on stuff that when you know what you're doing, is not necessarily so sequenced. Yeah, amen. And so, so, you know, you end up seeing a recipe that is, you know, have five or six paragraphs long, but if you know what you're doing, it can be a dump and stir. But you're writing the recipe and you have to put it in order and you got to say, well, dice this a certain kind of way. And so that's kind of intimidating, trying to get a level of detail so that if you don't understand it on the first time, you look back and all the information you need is there. But it's not so much a level of detail that, you know, the, where you're telling people to hold up their left foot, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, like, the recipe I thought was the most accurate in this whole book was the first, like I said, the first part of this book, which is basically, I'll say it's a recipe for a, a restaurant. Because <laughs> you tell your whole story from when you're 11 to when you open a restaurant and I was, I mean, Dave, I don't know how you felt, but I was blown away, like, how detailed you got, Rodney. Like, you tell everything, man. <laughs> like, you tell yeah. about the, like, all the shit. You know, from the outside, it was like, there's this guy named Rodney Scott. He cooks great barbecue. He does a great whole hog in, in, at home. And, uh, oh, it looks like he, he, he grew up, and now he's going to open a place in Charleston. That's all we know from the outside. You know, it's like, yeah. He was famous, and then he opened a big spot in a big city, and that's all we see. And to, to read the story of everything that led to that, to how hard it was for you personally, uh, you know, split with your father and your family and everything behind it, like that's the that's the that's the stuff you don't get from just like a headline from a from an article. I don't care what newspaper it's in. And, and I thought I've read a lot of cookbooks from a lot of chefs who've written about how they open a restaurant, and I could not believe. How detailed you guys went on all of that? Yeah. I felt like, <clears throat> you know, if I t- go into my story in the details that everybody would understand that I'm just like you. You know, I'm trying to survive just like you. I was that teenager. I was that young adult who was trying to figure things out and find my way. And it was kind of like just explaining I'm a normal everyday person. You know, I'm a guy that cooks barbecue. Here's my life. Here's my world you know, you're probably the same way. And I've gotten numerous letters of people 
explaining family situations with their parents, uh, operating businesses with their siblings. And they kind of reach out saying, hey, thank you for saying this because I was afraid to. So I just kind of want to show everybody not everything is all glit and glamorous. You know, some of it takes a whole lot of hard work to get to the next level. Well, we got, I know, three people on this conversation who've lost their fathers. And my father died, I guess, about a year and a half, maybe two years before we started the book. And so the aspects of talking to Rodney about his relationship with his father, that kind of echo some of the things I was thinking about, some of the feelings I was going through. And so as Rodney began to open up more and more, I began to see the extent to which that, you know, this, the headlines is a book about how to cook whole hog like Rodney Scott. But beyond that, it's about a father-son relationship and what that means in business and in life. And even for folks who are not in the restaurant business, whose relationships aren't exactly the same, some of those kinds of questions come up, you know? Yeah. It definitely connected with me. Um, you know, everybody thinks there's this romantic story about having a family business, but it is and it isn't. Um, just like any father-son or any mother-daughter relationship, it's just... Life is complicated, and uh, I'm glad you guys were able to capture that. It's a book that I was going to love if it was just Rodney, but the fact that <laughs> Lola is one of the best writers I know was able to help tell that story. And I, and I know, like, I've always partnered with people, and and um, I think you have to. It's like, we're sh- like we make food. We don't make words. So exactly. it, 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 it was really great to, to see the wordsmith in action and, and to translate that into a beautiful story. And you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, changes in life. Lolas, you've been around people that have, you've been able to trace their celebrity from nascent to pretty damn high. Mm-hmm. And you've known Rodney for a while now. And now you see Rodney with the burden of celebrity. What have you witnessed so far? Well, the thing is, though, this came to Rodney after he was a grown man. And most of the time we hear all these horror stories about celebrity. It's some child celebrity, somebody gets to be famous when they're 21, 23, and they're strung out on drugs and everything else. And I think a lot of it is because they got all that when they weren't mature enough to handle it. One, Rodney was mature enough to handle it. Two, one of the things we talk about in the book, in addition to his father being such a taskmaster, his father was also saying, look, son, this is what's going to keep you out of jail. This is what's going to keep you off drugs. This is going to keep you out of that kind of trouble. So in terms of the trajectory of what Rodney is dealing with, he was ready for that before it happened. And part and parcel of that is being partnered with somebody who's serious and, and well, well grounded with in Nick Pahakas. You know, I have often seen Nick drunk and acting a fool. But in terms <laughs> of the business thing, they are a perfect team. And when they sit down and talk business, it's business, you know? Yeah. Uh Really early in this book, Rodney, you talk about how like sometimes you still feel anxiety when you're cooking for a you know special event or somebody important or just any any old time really like because barbecue is this crazy thing. I, Dave, Dave and I uh, went out and saw Matt Horn recently here in Oakland, and we were talking about this same thing where barbecue is uh, an act of faith. You know, like yeah. you close the pit. And you're doing all sorts of stuff all night long. You're feeding that fire. You're watching the temperatures. You're doing the right thing. But like, there's still a level of faith to it that when you, at the end of 12 hours, plus all the effort leading up, when you open it, you cut into it, it's going to be good. Like it's a, it's a leap of faith. And early on in the book, you talk about the anxiety, you know, like, am I going to, is this going to turn out right? Is this audience going to like it? What's going to happen when I, when I open this, when I break into this pig, (laughs) it occurred to me to ask you, What's like the worst case scenario? Like what is the what what could go wrong with that whole hog? Like what's the worst thing that's happened or that you could imagine happening 12 hours people waiting and like what's 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 a bad pig? What's a hog gone wrong? Man, one of the worst things is flipping that hog over and it's charred on the bottom mm-hmm. where you lost focus or 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 it just got a little too hot. Um another is when you're flipping it over and it falls apart. Mm. <laughs> I've had all these things happen. Um uh, I remember I had one hog. We had to move the rig in San Francisco from one spot to the next. It caught fire at the red light. <laughs> like true story. on the back of the car. It just on, caught True fire. story. And we got it out. And when we got to the spot, it was a dark char all the way down the bottom. And I was oh, like, shit. we only got one hog. What are we going to do? I just delicately removed all the charred pieces. 
tasted the the inner parts to make sure it wasn't had that burnt flavor, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. I sauced it, and it was two, I think, three other barbecue setups beside me. We sold out first. <laughs> now, I don't know if we sold out because we didn't have enough pork or <laughs> they liked it. But these are the things that happen. And in my mind, everybody that tastes our pork is a VIP. And I want them to have an experience that's unforgettable. And that anxiety kicks in, whether it's 10 people or a thousand. I want to deliver the best product possible. I want to deliver the best experience possible. I want to recognize everybody that's coming to taste the barbecue that we're serving. So that's pretty much what that anxiety is. I want to give them the, the high expectations that they were, that they thought about in the beginning. I want to deliver. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that anxiety, something I know well, not necessarily barbecue, but anytime you make food, you let customers in, you take their hard-earned dollars, you're taking that leap of faith. And sometimes just acts of God that you have no idea or there's just no way for you to control it, you can't over-deliver, you know? And, no. and uh, right, Hugo? <laughs> um, I saw my son's running around. Um, and now with this, you've always had that pressure of like, that like, damn, this is the best you're ever going to have type of pressure. But now yeah. that aura is now like worldwide. And I yeah. found it to be incredibly difficult to always exceed that expectation because now people are coming in, whether they know barbecue or not. And then if this isn't one of the best meals I've ever had, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Because there's some days where people have to know it's like even the even Michael Jordan missed shots. More shots oh, yeah. than he made. You know, it's people need my, my fear with someone that's like you right now is the 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 deification, which is great, but also not realistic. That some things aren't gonna be perfect the way you want them or for the customer. And you the reason you're successful is you have that anxiety. So, like, how do you think you're gonna wrestle with that? Well, you know. That anxiety is tough, man. People will tell you in a skinny minute, sometimes see your face, sometimes they'll take to social media and they'll tell you apart. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear somebody else, you know, one of the ways that I try to stop a lot of that criticism is when somebody else comes to me and say, oh, I went to this restaurant. It wasn't that great. I would ask them, have you been there three times at least? And if they say no, I would say, could you please go back two more times before you judge them? Because you might have had a moment where things weren't right. And sometimes they'll answer nicely. Sometimes they don't. But it's like you said, we can try to deliver our best. It's not going to always be. Sometimes the animal is just tough and it doesn't, you know, cook as tender. But that anxiety for me is always there to deliver the best product that I can. And and all we can do is hope to deliver the best. That's it. You know, I, I try hard. I try for the consistency. I'll invite them back and say, hey, look, give me another shot. Let me see what we can do. And and for those that are, are are going to visit your restaurant and they've never had whole hog barbecue, what are sort of the primers that they need to know? Because a lot of people haven't had it before or they've had it. It's just been a false version of it. Well, you know, one of the first things I try to explain to people that's never had it is the sauce, the sauce itself. I remember we had a guy that visited us the very first year we opened and his idea of barbecue sauce was thick and and heavy. Mm-hmm. And he went across the street to the grocery store and got a commercial sauce and brought it back into the restaurant. <laughs> what? And poured it on the sauce so- on on the pork. What the fuck? Yeah, that's what I said. What the fuck? <laughs> you know? So, in looking at this guy, he was like, "Barbecue's good, but it just need a little bit more of this on it." And I was like, "Hmm. Thank you." Uh, that's so, what, that's not what I said mentally. I just said thank you <laughs> out loud. But I try to explain the sauce to them so they don't look for that commercial thick, heavy sauce. And I try to explain the flavors of this is a vinegar pepper sauce that's known in my area. This is how we did it. This is how we serve it to you. Um, hey, Ronnie, Ronnie, what is this area that you talk about? This area I talk about is Eastern South Carolina, PD region, you know, uh, where vinegar and pepper is very popular as far as barbecue sauces. Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, the eastern part of each state is known for vinegar and pepper sauce. So I try to explain that's where I'm from. This is what I'm trying to share with you, my world of barbecue through the vinegar and pepper sauce. And that's one of the first things I tell them and to taste the food before you add any sauce. Hmm. This is my uh, my favorite thing to do <laughs> in situations like this. Can you both walk us through, like, let's say, let's say it's our, my first time 
at your restaurant. My first time, not 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 only my first time at your restaurant, like Dave said, the first time I've ever had whole hog barbecue. Walk me through one meal. Like, what do I do at your restaurant? What do I have to? What do I have to hit? What do I? What's the order we eat things in? What's too much? What can I miss the first time and come back to again later? What do I drink? Can you can you walk us through a, a meal? All right. So if you come to Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue and you speak to me directly first, I'll say hello, welcome. Okay. Next thing, they're going to ask me, what should I eat? I'm going to let you know what we're known for. We're known for the whole hog, so you should try our pulled pork. Our ribs are also great. Uh, in my opinion, you should order everything. Yes, <laughs> but it's true. Then I'll explain to them that we have what we call a taste plate, which is a little bit of everything. And if they say, well, I don't want that much, I say, well, at least try our pulled pork, our chicken and ribs are one of the first three things that you might want to try. Okay. Do I get it as a sandwich? How do I how do I eat this? So the rib, you definitely want to grab it and hold on to it. Uh, the pulled pork, you want to taste as a sandwich. And the chicken, I like to pick it up, not even bite into it, just pull it to see how tender and juicy it is. Mm-hmm. Then, then taste the chicken. And of course, finish it with some sweet tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Lois, are we missing anything? Let's say we just ordered that. What did we miss? Uh, we've already talked about the chicken wings, which are incredible, but also and the recipes in the book, but also the hush puppies knocked me out <laughs> and the cracklings. Uh, there's a whole other thing learned about the you know the the crackling industrial complex. <laughs> because, yeah, <laughs> you know, ain't enough skin on enough pigs for them to make their own cracklings in a restaurant for everything that's happening. So there, is a, there are places that actually will sell you, I don't know what it is, like dehydrated cracklings or something. We, you know, we got the links in the, in the book. But uh, finding that was incredible. And so, you know, get the cracklings, get uh, the catfish is great. I've never but, had the catfish. You know. Oh, man. You Ron, you didn't offer me the catfish. I'm sorry. I got to come down. <laughs> come to Charleston, North Atlanta or, or Birmingham. I'll get you that catfish. Dave is shaking his head in disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> where, 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 where else are you thinking about opening up, Rodney? Because, you, you know, last we spoke, you just opened up Birmingham. Yeah, we opened Birmingham uh, in the Avondale area. We also plan to open Atlanta, summer of 21. We plan to open in Atlanta on the West End. Um, we also plan to open Trustville, Alabama and Homewood, Alabama, hopefully by the end of the year. Lolas, have you convinced him to open up in Los Angeles? Oh, <laughs> come on. Man. Come I would on. love to. I would love to. I tell you, though, my quietness is kept. Like, LA does have some really good barbecue these days. A Not whole hog. These, we don't have whole hog. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Definitely true. But actually, I want to, I want to, uh, if you allow me, Dave, I want to ask him a question related to this, which is how do you manage to get the consistency? Because when yeah. it was you and your father and, you know, the guys around who grew up with it, Mind in the pit, that's one thing. But how do you keep it consistent with all these places? Man, with all these places, consistency is very important. We all know that. But what we did was I took it upon myself to, again, learn how to teach somebody what I do. So I went through the slow steps of saying, hey, this is how much sauce you want to mop this hog with. This is how much rub you want to put on this hog. And in doing that, we created a manual step-by-step manual that can guide our new pitmasters all the way through everything step-by-step from starting the fire in the morning to pulling the last piece of pork off a whole hog. So in that consistency, I also visit and spend time with all of the new pitmasters. You know, just this morning, one of the new guys was, was in the pit and I was hanging out with him trying to see how he operates and see how much he understands. And Working beside them kind of gives them that confidence to help create that consistency. Let me ask you and Dave both this, because Dave, Dave has you know has has to sort of wrestle with the same things with with restaurants all over the world. Is the goal that your chefs at the restaurants, your pitmasters, eventually can do it as well or better than you? And do you ever get there? Or is it always like the best hog is going to be Rodney's hog? The best food is when Dave's cooking the food. Or does it? Or, or does that ever flip? You know, it hadn't flipped yet. Um, but the goal is to get them to do as well as I can, or if not better. Um, uh, the the overall goal is to deliver that consistency, that same flavor, as if I'm in the building. And one of the ways that we also help keep it consistent is to just show up unannounced. Mm-hmm. 
just pop up and mm-hmm. you see what they're doing and you understand it. But I, I would love for them to develop that that same um, uh, level of skill that I have or, or more just to just so we can spread this love of this barbecue everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I'd love to see them develop, to, you know, just as good, if not better than myself. What are you looking for, Rodney? Because I feel like over the years, I've gotten extremely, I'll say, good at identifying talent. Doesn't mean it's always right, but, you know, I live in a world of sports analogies. And, you know, I, I, yeah. I love when a player that wasn't necessarily good develops into somebody great, but some coach was like, I believe that he can do this, this, and this, and nobody believed it. When you go around your restaurants now and you're developing your team and you're identifying talent, what are the things you're looking for? I'm looking for that dedicated employee. I'm looking for that person who has that same passion that I have. I'm looking for that person who makes sure their station is always neat. The person who shows up and is more concerned with not only just his station or her station, but the stations around him. That one employee that says, do you need a hand? You know, these are the kind of things I look for. And there's one young lady uh, that works with us. When people come in there and the way that she greets them, it's like, wow, I love that. And when I see people take that personal approach to our customers the way that I do, that's what I look for. People that care, people that really, you know, understand where I'm coming from when I say, make them all a VIP. And, and you know, one more thing is that person who's going to show up on time. You know, a lot of people... They, they show up whenever, you know, you, you're supposed to be at work at eight o'clock. You show up at seven fifty nine thirty. You know, you're late. <laughs> it's, it's funny. That's that's the secret sauce in just about anything. Yeah. All I look for is how much does this person care? Talent doesn't matter. Ultimately, you know, they can learn the technique, but you can't teach somebody like it, it's the same shit. When I like I, I hear a football coach or like someone like Bill Belichick, he's like, I'm just looking for someone that number one loves it, wants to learn it. Two is harder on themselves than anybody else could be. So by the time you discipline them, they're like, you don't even need to do it. Man, we got this one kid we call Simply Red, has learned and developed himself so much. When he first came in there, I was like, man, I hope this kid makes it. (laughs) Now, he's in in there, man. He's consistent. He's happy. He's singing. He's working as long as you need him to work. He's, He's offering, you know, extra hand. We, we got some great people that's coming along, man. That's the, truly developed. Mm-hmm. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Chris, I want to jump in and give another answer to your question because... What I observe most, especially in hanging out with Rodney at the cooking he was doing in San Francisco, was how all of his senses come into play. Hmm. He can smell where the hog is in the cooking process. He can tell how hot the fire is by the sound of the fat dripping. 
And that's in addition to the obvious stuff of looking at it and tasting it and so forth. And those things, I think, are especially hard to, to teach. But, you know, that's one reason you got temperature gauges. Like, hey, I may not be able to hear how, how the, the fat is dripping, but I know that we're at, at uh, 250 or whatever. And so, therefore, I'm, I know I'm okay, you know? I remember that detail you wrote in the book and the recipe, you know, it's like Rodney says something like, I, I don't need to use thermometers. You know, I've been doing this forever. If I hear the fat dripping onto the wood every four to six seconds, I know that the temperature is between 225 and 250. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> I can also imagine some like uh, one of my food nerd friends sitting there with a fucking stopwatch being like, it's not four to six seconds. <laughs> just like, like, people just want to have their hands held no matter what it is. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to use a thermometer like Rodney does, but I'm going to time these little sizzles. You know, it's just like, you can't teach it though, right? It's That's that's the beauty of it. And, and that's why Dave talks about barbecue all the time as whatever's happening with the restaurant food landscape moving forward, barbecue is one of these things that I, I, you cannot package up and and export and just put on a delivery truck. You know, it's just like people got it. You got to have the expertise and you got to go out and see it. I firmly believe that as the world changes to a post-COVID world, hopefully we get there sooner rather than later, barbecue will become unequivocally one of the great places to go out to dine because I do think people are going to eat less meat, but I don't think that's going to change great barbecue. In fact, if I'm going to eat meat, I want it to be barbecue. And it's going to be a celebratory thing. And that's why I love barbecue so much is because it's about not just having a good time. It's about community. It's about, as you say, that care that you want your employees to give me. And all the great barbecue places in America that I've gone to, what I remember most besides the delicious food is that feeling of home. I'm stepping into someone's home. And I think that is something is hard to recreate. But most importantly, Nobody's going to really do a whole hog setup every day. And that's the only way you're going to get really good at it. Yeah. Which is why barbecue, things like Neapolitan pizza, there's certain foods that just don't travel well. And if I was thinking about learning how to do a restaurant, I would be working for you trying to figure out, like, how does this guy do it? Because barbecue is going to be the future of food for sure in this country. Because guess what? You ain't cooking it at home. I don't give a shit how great of an amateur barbecue person you are, <laughs> you can't do it unless you're like really doing it. You know what I mean? Can you, can you talk about that, Lolis, and, 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 and how you see, you know, before you worked on barbecue with Rodney and what you like saw as like amateurish cooking versus now the professional end for Rodney? Well, one of the things that's been striking to me is the number of fine dining chefs who've gone into barbecue. Adam Perry Lang is probably the most famous person in that regard, but there are a bunch of places in L.A. by folks whose resumes suggest they should be working at Per Se or at Major Domo, and in fact, they've opened up, they've chosen to open up a barbecue place rather than open up something else. Now, barbecue says something about us as Americans that's very interesting because, you know, we like to, to say, oh, we, we got rid of the British because we don't want to have a king, we don't want to have all that formality, we're just down-home folks, which is partly true. But barbecue gives you that sense of community, that sense of informality, but also that sense of high technique and dedication. So, you know, your grandfather, whoever it was in your family who might have been doing barbecue, was not, you know, was not somebody who went to cooking school or didn't even go to college. But the level of skill they bring to this particular thing is on such a high level that you get that kind of American combination of high-low, you know? And the other thing that I think will always make barbecue so popular is that no matter how good you are, no matter how much you want to do it, it's going to take you several hours. And I'd rather stop by Rodney Scott's and go and build that pit and, uh, and you know, do all the rest of that stuff. That's, you know, that's not really Careful now. You're trying to sell a cookbook here. Careful, careful. You still, you still, you should get out there and do it. Can you guys talk a little bit about that process of, uh, Lois, did you have to tell Rodney Give me more detail about this. Tell me, tell me more. Or did you have to be like, whoa, 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 that's too much. I don't need to know where to place the cinder blocks. Like, what, what was the process? Did you sit through a, did you, did you guys, you know, stand through a whole cook and, and all of that? Um, one advantage I had is having made a lot of mediocre barbecue in my life. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> you got to be, we need a remedial version. 
Um, and even in building and talking about building the pit, which is, of course, the thing that will allow you to cook like Rodney Scott. You can't do it over your Weber, over your Oklahoma Joe, whatever. Trying to tell people how to do it. And I'm like, really, we need more pictures than words with this, mm-hmm. even though the words are important. But when you tell people put four blocks along this side and three blocks along that side, it's better to see that than to, to try to put it in words. And the other thing, though, you talk about whether or not he was telling me too much or too little. It was always a conversation when it got to something like that, because I knew that's what the book would be judged by. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if this was Rodney's problem, but Daniel Vaughn and Sam Jones did their whole hog barbecue. I love both of them. Sam and Rodney are friends. I'm like, I damn sure don't want no reviewer to say, yes, this book is okay. But Daniel Vaughn, actually, if you really want to know how to do this, read Daniel Vaughn's book. He's like, oh, no, not that. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Rodney, was it hard for you to sort of put into words or, or, or to like, because you've just been doing it, it's just natural to you. Was it ever like, oh, you want to know what what kind of mop I use? You want to know this stuff? Or is it did it all come out naturally for you? It did not all come out supernaturally. We had to remember details. You know, again, like I said earlier, I had to learn how to teach it and learn how to explain it and and the why of the touch, why of the the listening. So I had to uh, kind of elaborate a little bit more in certain areas that came to me second nature. You know, I knew why the fat dripped and how long. And you you have to make it easy or for the, the next person. So I had to give more words and and more details. And the pictures, like Lola said, make the difference. Because I'm the guy that'll read two sentences in the instructions and then I'll go look at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too, me too. <laughs> you know, uh, Dave, you asked about consistency earlier, and especially with whole hog, one of the things Ryder and I kept talking about was the hog itself. Hmm. And he would talk about the different qualities of hog that he got at various places. Some hogs that would cook a lot quicker. Some hogs that really reminded him of what it was like when he was growing up when all the hogs they had were pasture-raised, et cetera. Cooking hogs in France, cooking hogs in Australia. So there's no way that we can know what whole hog you're going to get from the butcher near you. Uh, we got our hopes, we got the things we're suggesting, but, you know, how much of what happens is is the product you start with, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going back to that first time, I, 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 I think I, I definitely came to see you at night when you were tending um, the flames, the coals, and I was too embarrassed to ask you because I had heard, I was like, Rodney puts MSG in a sauce. I was like, no way. There's no way. <laughs> And I'm like, because everyone knew it's like, Dave, you, you, you're just like an MSG clown. All you do is talk about MSG. And I was like, I, I was incredulous. I was like, there's just no way this guy is putting MSG in a sauce. So I had a cup of beers. I went to bed. And next morning I stand in line and you're just feeding me. And I'm, I'm so grateful. And I taste the sauce. And I'm like, this sauce is really delicious, man. I don't know what's in here. And, and still, I was like, there's no way. And then you're like, yeah, it's, it's MSG. And, and, and like... <laughs> I think that you might be the greatest vehicle to explain to the world MSG. Cause like people are like, just shut up, Chang. All you do is talk about it. But like barbecue, Rodney Scott, you might be the keystone to this whole revolution of people understanding that if you don't like MSG, you're an idiot. <laughs> hey. You know, I remember. And, and I speak in the book on our first encounter with the MSG discussion. And I remember picking up the container years ago and reading it. And it said it had less sodium than salt. And I was like, oh, I hear people talk so much trash about this stuff. And when we started using it, I remember Nicholas saw me using it and we he nicknamed it Jesus Tears. <laughs> right? It says, you know, what's better than the tears of Jesus? And I'm like, hmm. So we actually call it Jesus Sears. But, you know, MSG is is kind of enhances what's already there. Mm-hmm. It's an addition. It's a plus. And a lot of people say, oh, I don't touch that stuff. OK, to each his own. But, you know, we use a little. My mama always said too much of anything is not good for you. So if you just take a little bit, you know, you're still safe. I've heard so many things that 
uh, kosher salt wasn't good. Table salt wasn't good. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, what ingredients are good? Tell me, somebody, let me know. But Jesus Tears is 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 a great enhancer. Just a little bit. It don't have to be a lot. Also, Rodney, when you said to me, people talk about MSG, but what about the chicken sandwiches they're getting at this fast food chain or that fast food chain? What about these potato chips or these tortilla chips, whatever? And so what I did was I went and took the examples you gave and did as much research as I could on those particular products or all the similar products that I know everybody has in a cabinet or certainly they buy for the, the, you know, the picnic they have. And I'm like, wait a minute, they got MSG and all of this stuff. And so for those who say, yo, I get so sick when I eat Chinese food with MSG, I'm like, well, what about we eat Doritos? And what about we eat, you know, Popeye's fried chicken? Do you get the same feeling? And then we yeah. get to the whole ethnic and racial thing, which we don't necessarily want to get into. Oh, but, God. You know. yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about either. No, no, no idea. In some countries, Asians are badly treated. We wouldn't know about it here, but in some countries. Yeah. Not, not, in, this, not in this paradise. Not, um, not over here. Jesus, Jesus Cheers is a great name, and uh, the reason why I think you can be a significant force in educating people is people, even though people regard, realize it or not, they are eating MSG all the time, naturally and artificially, right? When they eat some yes. Parmesan, they're eating basically glutamic acid. It's no different than, than any, and I know people listening would complain, like artificial concentrated orange juice versus like regular orange juice, it's, it's fresh squeeze. It's, Ultimately, the same thing. Yes, different, but why I find it completely fascinating and riveting is you're you're the, the antithesis of the stereotype of MSG. It's not Asian food. It's not Chinese food. It's as American as anything that's ever been made. It's literally a, the definition of American food. Ain't nothing fast about it. It's a slow. It's the slowest <laughs> food you can possibly make incredibly labor intensive if people haven't seen this process it's it's a lot of work and you're being very judicious with it at the end it's to like accentuate it so like you're not taking any shortcuts there's no shortcuts taken in this so like all across the board where people would say it's criticism it's like you're like no i, I i'm defending it's not even defending it like you're wrong it's yeah. no different when I've, I talked to a very famous three mission star chef who adds a little MSG to all their like food at a little bit at the very end. He's like, I buy the best ingredients. I treat everything with the utmost care with the best technique. He's like, what am I doing wrong? And that's yeah. why I think your sort of Jesus tears is going to be a true game changer. Hey, you can't go wrong with Jesus tears. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't. Um. Hey, Dave, what is the most, have you ever ta tackled a overnight smoke, a, a sort of like, what's the most sort of elaborate smoking at home that you have done? Anything? No, I don't do, here's the thing. Like, you know why I don't bake bread? Like all the time. I, I, I could be good at it, but there are people that are way better at it than me. Mm -hmm. You know why I, I, I do barbecue i do it in my my, my green egg I'll, I'll smoke like a pork neck or something like that because i can do that in like three hours and i don't want it to be falling off the bone i slice it so i can eat it like a korean bosom which i think is like a new way of doing barbecue for korean american i think there's ways for barbecue to evolve and to change but like i'm not making what rodney scott makes i'm saving my barbecue the same way i save the best sushi my like there's certain kinds of sushi i'm waiting just to go to tokyo for you know, I can eat California rolls as like junk food and I can have barbecue here and there, but like I'm saving the great barbecue experiences. Like when I went to see Matt Horn, like next time I go to Charleston now, I'm like, I'm going to have to make a detour and eat at Rodney Scott's barbecue. Like I want to go out of my way to eat something like that. I don't want it to have the ability to make it even if, and I do have the ability to do it. You know why? It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> It's really hard. I don't make my own puff pastry. I don't pull my own noodles. So why the fuck should I be making my own like barbecue? And I think it's a combination of mastery, right? Excellence, 
And they do it every day. It's like, I don't brew my own beer. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, leave it to the experts. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, but there's a whole, there's a, there's a large population of people who brew their own beer, bake their own bread, all that yeah. stuff. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking drink it. I don't want to eat their shit. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you're, you're, you're a professional <laughs> chef. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I, I, I reading this book, I was like, why am I do this? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'll tell you where my head actually went. My head actually went here. If I can get my family on board with this and get them excited about this, that's like 10 to 12 hours where I just get to be by myself. <laughs> just stand yeah, by man. the fire by myself and escape my no, family. I, 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 I don't have that patience, man, to, to, to do that. <laughs> I, I mean, not, if it. anything, like I'm going to make the chicken wings. These are things you can do. You know, and there's a ton of recipes in the book that you can make, but this, this like romantic idea that you, you're going to do what Rodney Scott does. No, man, leave that for people like Rodney Scott to do. And you can recreate certain things. And I think that's what a cookbook should be. It's not about making a facsimile. You should go yeah. visit the restaurants that he's creating, the teams that he's cultivating. And that's, that's what makes yeah. food so delicious. I, I, I agree with that. I hear that. I, I also think, like I said, I think this book is beyond worth the, the price of admission because of the story that you're telling, too. I mean— it's about barbecue, like you said, Lolis, but it's, I'll, I'll be honest, like I cried reading that opening part of the book. It was like, this is a book about fathers and pride and the things that we leave unspoken between us. And, and like, you know, I have no, my life just bears no resemblance to yours, Rodney, as far as like the circumstances of our upbringing. But I know what that is. I, I understand like a father's pride, both on my own part and my father and, and all of that and the things that we, you know, we, we can't really say and, and, I thought it was beautiful the way you try to sort of empathize with your family, even though it's been so rough. And man, just for that reason alone and the chicken wings and if, and just like seeing the pictures of stuff you may or may not ever do. Like I, I, this book is beautiful. I congratulations you. guys. Thank you. I mean, you know, between Jarrell and Lolis, the, the way they laid everything out, just for me, it kind of complimented my life. They kind of made it better for me. You know, um, I did a lot of crying. Mm-hmm. Not just in that book, but growing up, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to go places, wanting to do things, wanting to to be adventurous and and get out. And when the opportunity came, a lot of family members just didn't like it, didn't understand it, and and you know, oh well. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm 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 older, and I kind of understand every uh, experience that I've went through, and and everything that I'm I'm encountering now kind of made me a better person to go through what I went through to where I am now. Mm-hmm. I, I feel a lot more, I don't know, uh, satisfied, if you will, with my entire life. I appreciate the farming. I appreciate not being able to do certain things. Um, I appreciate being too busy to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm good. I can go party if I want, but you know, I'm at that age where I can sit on the porch and watch the sun go down. So <laughs> I appreciate all of that. <laughs> yeah. Man, man, you worked hard. Man, you worked yeah. hard for a long, long, long time. There's a lot of I'm I'm reading it and I'm I'm sweating just from the descriptions. Man, it was nothing to cut a load of wood. Uh a pick, a regular pickup truck. Sometimes we would fill that as many as nine times a day. Cut it, load it, take it and dump it. Um, yeah. I think we averaged somewhere between five to seven loads a day if the wood was there. Um, those kind of things, they kept you in shape. You know, again, too busy, too tired to go out afterwards. You go to bed, get up, start all over again. Mm-hmm. Well, all I'm hearing, Rodney, is this is this is overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went down to barbecues galore. You picked up a book and bing, bang, boom. Watch, you watch some YouTube videos and here you are. <laughs> There's a lawyer my father worked with in the civil rights movement named Jeremiah Gutman. I remember going to his office and seeing a poster that said, to make poor people work harder, you pay them less. To make rich people work harder, you pay them more. Hmm. And I think about how hard Rodney's father worked hmm. and the fact that it wasn't like he had a million dollars buried in the backyard. Like, how the hell do you work that hard? And not end up being rich or not end up, you know, in a, in a better circumstance. And that really is an indictment of this country on all kinds of levels. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that makes Rodney's success that much the sweeter because he's figured out how to take that hard work, but actually monetize it in such a way that it pays off. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what, <laughs> to simplify all this, what one big takeaway from the book that you said, Rodney, is uh, it's just about how hard it is to farm. Holy shit. <laughs> like, oh, that's an man. underappreciated thing in this country is how hard farming is, what hard work that is. It is hard work farming. But let me tell you, you know, growing up farming and being in, in, in the middle of that work every day, that physical, that heat, everything that goes on around you when it comes to farming, the making sure the crops and the fields are all, all you know, done the right way. I could cut my yard in 20 minutes. And that's <laughs> not because uh, my yard is small. It's, it's like, this is nothing compared to what I'm used to doing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not walking down a row of cucumbers or cropping tobacco. This is, this is a walk in the park. You know, yeah. I can go swing the axe at the pits with ease. Some of the guys are like, how do you swing it so slow, but yet you split these big logs? And I'm like, well, you know, growing up, you had to do this all day. Mm-hmm. And for me to stand here five minutes to show you how to split a log, it's, it's a walk in the park because farming is so intense. And hats off to all the farmers, man. It is so intense. It is so much hard work. Some days you're working from early morning until the, 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 the early evening. So it's hard work. It develops you into a better person, I think. I don't want to go back. Don't call me to come back to farm. <laughs> no, I'll cook on your farm, but I will not farm <laughs> if I have a choice. That's amazing. That's hilarious and very profound. And that <laughs> and that line by Lola's from your, you, you, you know, uh, your father's friend, you know, Poor people, you got to pay. What is that again? Could you repeat that? Because it's so. To make poor people work harder, you pay them less. To make rich people work harder, you pay them more. Yeah. Just fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) But you didn't say it wasn't true. Um, <laughs> um, are you guys uh, doing uh, anything else? I, I mean, I mean, with COVID and everything, book came out. Are you guys going to go back on the road to do a proper book tour? Are you doing all this traveling, Rodney? What's going on? Well, right now, not not a lot of traveling. Um, I did some uh, virtual stuff. Um, I've yeah, pretty much virtual. I've been. I'm still, you know trying to stay safe and 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 travel as less as possible. And most of the time I'm traveling, I'm driving to Birmingham to the restaurant, you know, from Charleston to Birmingham, stopping in Atlanta. But no, not a lot of traveling yet. Um, it would be great to see people and, and autograph a book to them personally. Uh, but right now, it's still all virtual for me. Dave, I'm like you. I want to do an in-person event so I can taste some of that pork right off the oh pit. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? I know. It's I'm insane. Like, if only. Lolas, what, what, what are you working on? Uh, well, I want to do a book about my mother, who is my remaining parents. That's the main thing I'm trying to do. Nice. Also trying to create a TV show about champagne, a, a, uh, a fictional TV show, a scripted TV show. So I had been working on that. Those are the two big projects. And raising a uh, three-year-old boy, you might have heard earlier, complaining about the way in which he's being raised. <laughs> That's where yeah. the champagne comes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just put the, put the suggestion box out, Lois, and just let that do the job. You know, oh, more complaints. Man. Unbelievable. Well, well mm. pleasure to have you guys. Thank you. Um, oh, and... Go buy your book and go visit your restaurants. And I'm going to make a trip to Charleston or Birmingham very soon. You will see me in person Man. eating an ungodly amount of food. <laughs> yeah, I know a guy. I can hook you right up. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Again, check out Rodney Scott's World of Barbecue Every Day is a Good Day, a cookbook. I don't know. I don't know what else to say, guys. I'm tired. I'm recording this a little bit late as an outro. Uh, Hugo keeps me up. (laughs) I barely slept at all last night. 
So if I am not talkative, it's because I'm just dead tired. So I will have nothing uh, of use uh, just blabbering on. So please give us five stars on our iPod page and uh, have a safe weekend. If you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, please do so. And uh, stay safe out there. Talk to you guys next week.